Section 36 of Jataka Tales by H. T. Francis and E. J. Thomas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Rama and Sita. Once upon a time at Benares, a great king named Dasaratha renounced the ways of evil and reigned in righteousness. Of his sixteen thousand wives, the eldest and queen consort bore him two sons and a daughter. The elder son was named Ramapandita, or Rama the Wise. The second was named Prince Lakana, or Lucky, and the daughter's name was the Lady Sita. In course of time the queen consort died. At her death the king was for a long time crushed by sorrow, but urged by his courtiers he performed her obsequies and set another in her place as queen consort. She was dear to the king and beloved. In time she also conceived, and all due attention having been given her, she brought forth a son, and they named him Prince Bharata. The king loved his son much and said to the queen, Lady, I offer you a boon choose she accepted the offer but put it off for the time when the lad was seven years old she went to the king and said to him my lord you promised a boon for my son will you give it me now choose lady said he my lord quoth she give my son the kingdom the king snapped his fingers at her out vile jade said he angrily my other two sons shine like blazing fires. Would you kill them and ask the kingdom for a son of yours? She fled in terror to her magnificent chamber, and on other days again and again asked the king the same. The king would not give her this gift. He thought within himself, Women are ungrateful and treacherous. This woman might use a forged letter or a treacherous bribe to get my sons murdered. So he sent for his sons and told them all about it, saying, My sons, if you live here, some mischief may befall you. Go to some neighboring kingdom, or to the woodland, and when my body is burnt, then return and inherit the kingdom which belongs to your family. Then he summoned soothsayers, and asked them the limits of his own life. They told him he would live yet twelve years longer. Then he said, now, my sons, after twelve years you must return and uplift the umbrella of royalty. They promised, and after taking leave of their father, went forth from the palace weeping. The lady Sita said, I too will go with my brothers. She bade her father farewell and went forth weeping. These three departed amidst a great company of people. They sent the people back and proceeded until at last they came to Himalaya. There, in a spot well watered and convenient for the getting of wild fruits, they built a hermitage, and there lived, feeding upon the wild fruits. Lakana Pandita and Sita said to Rama Pandita, You are in a place of a father to us. Remain then in the hermitage, and we will bring fruits and feed you. He agreed. Thenceforward Rama Pandita stayed where he was. The others brought the fruits and fed him. Thus they lived there, feeding upon the wild fruit, but King Dasaratha pined after his sons, and died in the ninth year. When his obsequies were performed, the queen gave orders that the umbrella should be raised over her son, Prince Bharata. But the courtiers said, The lords of the umbrella are dwelling in the forest, and they would not allow it. 
said Prince Bharata. I will fetch back my brother Ramapandita from the forest and raise the royal umbrella over him. Taking the five emblems of royalty, he proceeded with the complete host of the four arms to the dwelling place. Not far away he caused camp to be pitched, and then with a few courtiers he visited the hermitage, at the time when Lakana Pandita and Sita were away in the woods. At the door of the hermitage sat Ramapandita, undismayed and at ease, like a figure of fine gold firmly set. The prince approached him with a greeting, and, standing on one side, told him of all that had happened in the kingdom, and, falling at his feet along with the courtiers, burst into weeping. Ramapandita neither sorrowed nor wept. He showed no change of feeling. When Bharata had finished weeping and sat down, towards evening the other two returned with wild fruits. Ramapandita thought, these two are young, all comprehensive wisdom like mine is not theirs. If they are told on a sudden that our father is dead, the pain will be greater than they can bear, and who knows but their hearts may break. I will find a device to persuade them to go down into the water, and then tell them the news. Then, pointing out to them a place in front where there was water, he said, You have been out too long. Let this be your penance. Go into that water and stand there. Then he repeated a half stanza. Let Lakana and Sita both into that pond descend. One word sufficed, into the water they went and stood there. Then he told them the news by repeating the other half stanza. Bharata says King Dasaratha's life is at an end. When they heard the news of their father's death, they fainted. Again he repeated it, again they fainted, and when even a third time they fainted away, the courtiers raised them and brought them out of the water and set them upon dry ground. When they had been comforted, they all sat weeping and wailing together. Then Prince Bharata thought, My brother, Prince Lakana, and my sister, the Lady Sita, cannot restrain their grief to hear our father's death. But Ramapandita neither wails nor weeps. I wonder what can the reason be that he grieves not. I will ask. Then he repeated the second stanza, asking the question, Say by what power thou grievest not, Brahma, when grief should be, though it is said thy sire is dead, grief overwhelms not thee. Then Ramapandita explained the reason of his not grieving by saying, when man can never keep a thing, though loudly he may cry, why should a wise intelligence torment itself thereby? The young in years, the elder grown, the fool, and eke the wise, for rich, for poor, one end is sure, each man among them dies. As sure as for the ripened fruit there comes the fear of fall, so surely comes the fear of death to mortals, one and all. Who in the morning light are seen by evening oft are gone, And seen at evening time is gone by morning many a one. If to a fool infatuate a blessing could accrue, When he torments himself with tears, the wise this same would do. By this tormenting of himself he waxes thin and pale, This cannot bring the dead to life, and nothing tears avail. Even as a blazing house may be put out with water, so the strong, the wise, the intelligent, 
who well the scriptures know, scatter their grief like cotton when the stormy winds do blow. One mortal dies, to kindred ties born is another straight. Each creature's bliss dependent is on ties associate. The strong man therefore skilled in sacred text, keen contemplating this world and the next, knowing their nature not by any grief, however great, in mind and heart is vexed. So too, my kindred, I will give, them will I keep and feed, all that remain I will maintain, such is the wise man's deed. In these stanzas he explained the impermanence of things. When the company heard this discourse of Ramapandita illustrating the doctrine of impermanence, they lost all their grief. Then Prince Bharata saluted Ramapandita, begging him to receive the kingdom of Benares. Brother, said Brahma, take Lakana and Sita with you and administer the kingdom yourselves. No, my lord, you take it. Brother, my father commanded me to receive the kingdom at the end of twelve years. If I go now, I shall not carry out his bidding. After three more years, I will come. Who will carry on the government in all that time? You do it. I will not. Then, until I come, these slippers shall do it, said Brahma, and, doffing his slippers of straw, he gave them to his brother. So these three persons took the slippers, and, bidding the wise man farewell, went to Benares with their great crowd of followers. For three years the slippers ruled the kingdom. The courtiers placed these straw slippers upon the royal throne when they judged a cause. If the cause were decided wrongly, the slippers beat upon each other, and at that sign it was examined again. When the decision was right, the slippers lay quiet. When the three years were over, the wise man came out of the forest and came to Benares, and entered the park. The princes, hearing of his arrival, proceeded with a great company to the park, and, making Sita the queen consort, gave to them both the ceremonial sprinkling. The sprinkling thus performed, the great being standing in a magnificent chariot, and surrounded by a vast company, entered the city making a solemn circuit rightwise. Then, mounting to the great terrace of his splendid palace Sukhandaka, he reigned there in righteousness for sixteen thousand years, and then went to swell the hosts of heaven. THE WICKED STEPMOTHER Once upon a time, when Brahmadatta was king of Benares, the Bodhisatta was born as the son of his chief queen, and because his all-blessed countenance was like a lotus full-blown, Paduma Kumara they named him, which is to say, the Lotus Prince. When he grew up, he was educated in all arts and accomplishments. Then his mother departed this life. The king took another consort and appointed his son viceroy. After this, the king, being about to set forth the quell arising on the frontier, said to his consort, Do you, lady, stay here while I go forth to quell the frontier insurrection? But she replied, No, my lord, here I will not remain, but I will go with you. Then he showed her the danger which lay on the field of battle, adding to it this, Stay then here without vexation until my return, and I will give charge to Prince Paduma that he be careful in all that should be done for you, and then I will go. So thus he did, and departed. When he had scattered his enemies and pacified the country, 
he returned and pitched his camp without the city. The Bodhisatta, learning of his father's return, adorned the city, and, setting a watch over the royal palace, went forth alone to meet his father. The queen, observing the beauty of his appearance, became enamored of him. In taking leave of her, the Bodhisatta said, "'Can I do anything for you, mother?' "'Mother, you call me?' quoth she. She rose up and seized his hand, saying, "'Lie on my couch.' "'Why?' he asked. "'Just until the king comes,' she said. "'Let us both enjoy the bliss of love.' "'Mother, my mother you are, and you have a husband living. Such a thing I have never before seen, that a woman, a matron, should break the moral law in the way of fleshy lust. How can I do such a deed with you?' Twice and thrice she besought him, and when he would not, said she, "'Then you refuse to do as I ask?' "'Indeed I do refuse. Then I will speak to the king and cause you to be beheaded.' "'Do as you will,' answered the great being, and having shamed her, he left her. Then, in fear, she thought, "'If he tell the king first, there is no life for me. I must get speech of him first myself.' Accordingly, leaving her food untouched, she donned a soiled robe and made nail-scratches upon her body, giving orders to her attendants that, when the king should ask of the queen's whereabouts, he should be told she was ill.' She lay down, making a pretense of illness. Now the king made solemn procession about the city rightwise, and went up into his dwelling. When he saw her not, he asked, "'Where is the queen?' "'She is ill,' they said. He entered the state chamber, and asked her, "'What is amiss with you, lady?' She made as though she heard nothing. Twice and yet thrice he asked, and then she answered, "'O oh, great king!' why do you ask be silent women that have a husband must be even as i am who has annoyed you said he tell me quickly and i will have him beheaded whom did you leave behind in this city when you went away prince paduma and he she went on came into my room and i said my son do not so i am your mother but say what I would, he cried, None is king here but me, and I will take you to my dwelling and enjoy your love. Then he seized me by the hair of my head, and plucked it out again and again, and as I would not yield to his will, he wounded and beat me and departed. The king made no investigation, but furious as a serpent, commanded his men, Go and bind Prince Padma and bring him to me. They went to his house, swarming as it were through the city, and bound him up and beat him, bound his hands fast behind his back, put about his neck the garland of red flowers, making him a condemned criminal, and led him thither, beating him the while. It was clear to him that this was the queen's doing, and as he went along he cried out, "'Ho, fellows! I am not one that is offended against the king. I am innocent!' All the city was a bubble with the news. They say the king is going to execute Prince Padma at the bidding of a woman. They flocked together. They fell at the prince's feet, lamenting with a great noise. You have not deserved this, my lord. As they brought him before the king, at sight of him the king could not restrain what was in his heart, and cried out, This fellow is no king, but he plays the king finely. 
My son he is, yet he has insulted the queen. Away with him, down with him over the thieves' cliff. Make an end of him. But the prince said to his father, No such crime lies at my door, father. Do not kill me on a woman's word. The king would not listen to him. Then all those of the royal seraglio, in number sixteen thousand, raised a great lamentation, saying, Dear Padma, mighty prince, this dealing you have never deserved. And all the warrior chiefs and great magnates of the land, and all the attendant courtiers cried, My lord, the prince is a man of goodness and virtuous life, observes the traditions of his race, heir to the kingdom. Do not slay him at a woman's word without a hearing. A king's duty is to act with all circumspection. So saying, they repeated seven stanzas. No king should punish an offense and hear no pleas at all, not thoroughly sifting it himself in all points, great and small. The warrior chief who punishes a fault before he tries is like a man born blind who eats his food all bones and flies. Who punishes the guiltless and lets go the guilty knows no more than one who blind upon a rugged highway goes. He who all this examines well in things both great and small and so administers deserves to be the head of all. He that would set himself on high must not all gentle be, nor all severe, but both these things practice in company. Contempt the all gentle winds, and he that's all severe has wrath. So of the pair be well aware, and keep a middle path. Much can be angry man, O king, and much the knave can say, and therefore for a woman's sake thy son thou must not slay. But for all they could say in many ways, the courtiers could not win him to do their bidding. The Bodhisatta also, for all his beseeching, could not persuade him to listen. Nay, the king, blind fool, said, Away, down with him over the thieves' cliff, repeating the eighth stanza. One side the whole world stands, my queen on another all alone. Yet her I cleave to, cast him down the cliff, and get you gone. At these words, not one among the sixteen thousand women could remain unmoved, while all the populace stretched out their hands and tore their hair with lamentations. The king said, Let these but try to prevent the throwing of this fellow over the cliff. And amidst his followers, though the crowd wailed around, he caused the prince to be seized and cast down the precipice over heels head first. Then, owing to the magic power due to his practice of friendliness, the deity of the hill comforted the prince, saying, Fear not, Paduma. And in both hands he caught him, pressed him to his heart, sent a divine thrill through him, set him in the abode of the Nagas of the eight ranges, within the hood of the Naga king. The king received the Bodhisatta into the abode of the Nagas and gave him the half of his own glory and state. There for one year he dwelt. Then he said, I would go back to the ways of men. Whither? they asked. To Himalaya, where I will become an ascetic. The Naga king gave his consent. Taking him, he conveyed him to the place where men go to and fro, and gave him the requisites of an ascetic, and went back to his own place.
So he proceeded to Himalaya, became a hermit sage, and cultivated the faculty of ecstatic bliss. There he abode, feeding upon fruits and roots of the woodland. Now a certain wood-ranger who dwelt in Benares came to that place and recognized the great being. "'Are you not,' he asked, "'the great Prince Paduma, my lord?' "'Yes, sir,' he replied. The other saluted him, and there for some days he remained. Then he returned to Benares and said to the king, "'Your son, my lord, has embraced the religious life in the region of Himalaya, and lives in a hut of leaves. I have been staying with him, and thence I come.' "'Have you seen him with your own eyes?' asked the king. "'Yes, my lord.' The king, with a great host, went thither, and on the outskirts of the forest he pitched his camp. Then, with his courtiers around him, went to salute the great being, who sat at the door of his hut of leaves, in all the glory of his golden form, and sat on one side. The courtiers also greeted him, and spoke pleasantly to him, and sat on one side. The Bodhisatta, on his part, invited the king to share his wild fruits, and talked pleasantly with him. Then said the king, My son, by me you were cast down a deep precipice, and how is it you are yet alive? Asking which he repeated the ninth stanza. As into hell-mouth you were cast over a beetling hill, no succor, many palm-trees deep, how are you living still? These are the remaining stanzas, and of the five taken alternately, Three were spoken by the Bodhisatta, and two by the king. A Naga, mighty, full of force, born on that mountain land, caught me within his coils, and so here, safe from death, I stand. Lo, I will take you back, O prince, to my own home again, and there, what is the wood to you, with blessing you shall reign. As who a hook has swallowed, and drawn it forth all blood, Drawn forth is happy, so I see in me this bliss and good. Why speak you thus about a hook? Why speak you thus of gore? Why speak about the drawing out? Come, tell me, I implore. Lust is the hook, fine elephants and horse by blood I show. These by renouncing I have drawn. This, chieftain, you must know. Thus, O great king, to be king is nothing to me, but do you see to it that you break not the ten royal virtues, but forsake evil-doing and rule in righteousness? In those words the great being admonished the king. He with weeping and wailing departed, and on the way to his city he asked his courtiers, On whose account was it that I made a breach with a son so virtuous? They replied, The queen's! Her the king caused to be seized, and cast headlong over the thieves' cliff, and, entering his city, ruled in righteousness. End of section 36